Welcome to the hashtag Faring Pod. At Faring, people come first. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the different birthing options for expecting mothers. My name is Zoya Mabuto Mukoditwa, and I am your host for today's conversation. And of course, we are joined in the conversation today by Dr. Esther Roxon, obstetrician and gynecologist. A warm welcome to you, Dr. Roxon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Zoya. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. And maybe just to kickstart, let's have you tell us a little about yourself. Tell us about your occupation. What do you do? What does it entail? Okay. So, Zoya, I am a mom to two beautiful children. I've got Ethan, who's nine years old, and Tamani, who is three. I am an obstetrician and gynecologist, and most people don't know what an obstetrician is. So an obstetrician is a doctor, a specialist who looks after pregnant women throughout the journey of pregnancy and delivers the baby safely. I'm also a gynecologist, so it means that I also address women's issues. So girls and women uh, throughout their reproductive until menopausal ages. So that's what I do. I work at Busamed Morafontaine Hospital in Johannesburg. I'm also partly affiliated to the states where I teach um, government doctors and I look after their complicated, you know, cases and also moms who are in trouble. Perfect. Thank you so much for that introduction. I think we're in the perfect hands uh, to have, co- you know, the conversation today. I suppose before we start, Doctor, I wanted to just tell you how excited I am that I'm speaking to a woman. Ah, Oftentimes you. when we're uh, talking about gynecologists and obstetricians, typically it's it's men who show up to the table. So really refreshing to be able to be in conversation with a lady. Uh, Absolutely. Today. Thank you so much. Thank you. So to kick off, I think before we get into the different birthing options, uh, let's talk a little bit about that process from, from labor to delivery. What does that typically look like? So I would take it a notch uh, you know, earlier. So what happens is that you need to come in when you are pregnant. Once you find out that you are pregnant, the doctor looks after you through the journey of pregnancy. And depending on what you have chosen as your route of birth, then you will discuss with your obstetrician. Um, my approach is, you know, you have to be open minded. It's a, it's, it's a collaborative decision between the mother to be and the dad to be and the doctor doctor. So it's going to be a journey. It's very important for you to form a relationship with your caregiver or your obstetrician during this journey, because I believe that trust goes a long way. Once you trust your caregiver, it's easy for you to understand how they're going to guide you. And you are also going to be, you know, more at ease in making the decision towards the delivery. So uh, the journey is really, I mean, it depends on when you find out when you're pregnant, and I mean, as soon as you find out that you're pregnant, it's always very important for you to then go for your checkup and you date the pregnancy until such a time that either if the labor or the delivery happens spontaneously, in other words, unplanned, or you have a planned birth. So, I mean, I love what what you're saying. And I think for me, I'm picking up that there's a lot of empathy that's involved. You mentioned this, you know, that there's got to be that trusting relationship between yourself and your caregiver. So, so loads of empathy extended in what I think is such a significant milestone for any expecting, uh, you know, couple. 
I do want to, to, to start to move the conversation to, you know, you found out you're pregnant. Uh, you know, you've, you've gotten, uh, uh you know, I've got a gynecologist. I'm, I'm going regularly. I've gotten some kind of plan in terms of, and we'll get to the birth plan later. I've got all of that in place. But, but what different birthing options are available to this, you know, this new mother? Let's say she's a new mother. She's never had a baby before. What are some of those options that are available to her? Um, and, and what would it look like if we're talking about the process from sort of labor to delivery as we unpack these different birthing options available to her? It's quite a loaded question. So it we can is. break it into sort of bit by bit. What are those options? And what does it look like for each of those options from that, you know, from going into labor to delivery? Okay. So the fact that you go into labor, you have to understand how the labor first happened. The options for my patients, obviously, I mean, like I say, the conversation begins way before the labor actually takes place so that um, you are open-minded as a parent to be. So I will give you a scenario. Um, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. The water either breaks or you start having contractions or your mucus plug, uh, you know, has, you know, fallen off. This is a conversation you should have had with your obstetrician to say these are the signs of labor. This is what you should look out for. So in my practice, I actually give uh, the moms to be a welcome pack so that they understand, um, you know, what to watch out for and when to go to the hospital. So now the options in terms of uh, labor and delivery are two ways. If everything goes naturally, so we've got unassisted labor, okay, and we've got assisted delivery depending on how the journey, you know, sort of unfolds. So um, it, it begins obviously by you packing your bags and making sure that you're ready. You have somebody, a chaperone, somebody to take you to the hospital um, and support. So once you get there, you can say to your caregivers, okay, this is what my birth plan has been. I am going to deliver naturally with, you know, an assistance or I'm going to make sure that I do not have any drugs. I'll try my best to see uh, if I can keep it as natural as possible. So now I say this as well. If you ask for assistance, it doesn't have, uh, you know, sort of an, um, it's an, it's not an indication of you being weak. Mm. Okay. Mm. So assistance comes in different forms. It can be medication. It can be an epidural. Okay. It can be a vacuum extraction where we help you, you know, once the baby is out or you say it's fine. I think for me, assistance means that when I come to the hospital, I have a doula. I have my partner. So that is got to, going to do uh, a lot to do with the pain relief. I'm going to have a birthing mm -hmm. ball or I'm going to create an environment where I feel relaxed. So the important thing, again, is to put the patient or the mom to be in control of the situation. Remember now, labor is a natural process. Mm. So you don't control nature. So once the mom is in control, she's very well informed of the process to say, okay, this is what happens. For example, Zoya, you're now in labor. There's what you call a latent phase of labor and an active phase of labor and the third stage of labor. So for a first time mom, the latent phase is anywhere before when you get to, you know, uh, one centimeter dilatation of the cervix, which is opening of the mouth mm. up until you're four centimeters dilated. That 
range can go anywhere between eight hours and 12 hours because it's quite unpredictable. Mm. So, and unfortunately, I think the movies have ruined it for us because you see this mom whose water breaks in the shopping mall or she gets contraction and the next (laughs) scene is the baby coming out. It actually doesn't work like that. So once you understand the timelines, so when you come in, you say, okay, I can either stay at home for the next eight hours or go in if I don't have that confidence in myself to say I'm going to monitor myself and the other things that we also have to see how baby's doing Mm. so that first four centimeters take tends to be longer than the entire labor itself so once you go above four centimeters then you are going to move at one centimeter per hour that's for first time moms we expect that that's going to happen but again it's nature. Mm. So for the second time or subsequent or fourth time or third time moms, they tend to move faster. Mm. So once you go to about eight or nine centimeters dilated, depending on what your birth plan is, you're going to get in the position that's comfortable for you. Mm. So for some moms, they'll say, I actually want to be on all fours. Okay. Or I want to hug my partner or I actually want to be in a water birth, right? Position or I'm fine in, you know, on my back. Or can you put me in the lithotomy position? Lithotomy position means that we help you. So we have the legs uh, in the pose so that you don't have to stress about holding them. So it depends on what you are comfortable with to then, you know, having this baby. Now the crowning of the baby and the coming as well is also quite unpredictable. It depends on what you've uh, discussed with the obstetrician and the nurses. So you have a, an entire team actually dedicated to the birth of this baby. Mm. Remember, and I always say this, this is the birthday of your baby. So it shouldn't feel clinical mm. in that you shouldn't feel like a patient. You have to still be in control in as much as we give you something to aid. So when you get to above four to five centimeters dilated, you can then ask, okay, can I have an epidural? And that's where, you know, we get an injection to numb the pain fibers in the back. I know most moms are concerned about that and we'll discuss about an epidural much later. Okay. Let, me, let me step in there. Let me step in there just to ensure that we're, we're still on the same page. So, so what we're speaking about now is is the vaginal or the natural birth. Yes, that's labor. And I don't labor. even know if if if, we're to, if if the terms are interchangeable. So, so this is where somebody has a natural birth, and I'm hearing you to be saying that it can either be assisted or unassisted. unassisted. And when we're talking about this being an unassisted natural birth, we're saying one would not necessarily then be given medication. So there's no kind of Absolutely. you know there's no sort of medication. This is where I'm saying it's a natural process, and I'm going to go through the process in its natural state. Absolutely. And assisted would then refer to an instance where there's nothing wrong with me, but I certainly, you know, choose the option of having some kind of, I don't know, pain medication, some kind of medication to assist me. Absolutely. And it's quite contrary to that. So whether you have uh, a natural birth in that no pain medication given to you or pain medication given to you, it's still natural birth. Uh So the assistant part comes in delivery of the baby's head. Uh-huh. So you, you go through the whole process. Um, you know, either you have, and we've got different options, you know, we've got injectables, we've got the gas, and then there's an epidural, or for some women, there's, you know, uh, acupuncture, there's so many things, there's music, but the difference between a natural a birth and a natural assisted 
is actually where we uh, step in in delivering of the baby. Ah. Um, in 2022, I think that the other option uh, in terms of assistance is a vacuum delivery. So we've got quite nice, um, you know, little systems that we uh, cup on the baby's head without causing harm. And we slowly, you know, apply traction as the mom pushes. So that actually only applies at the very end of the delivery. Mm. Yeah. So let's move to the other, uh, you know, birthing options. So we've spoken to the natural births. Take me through what the other options are. Okay. So the other option will obviously then be a cesarean section. Now you can have a planned cesarean section or you can have an emergency cesarean section. So a cesarean section is uh, a procedure where then the doctor has to uh, extract the baby via the abdominal route instead of the vaginal route. So we make a small cut on the lower part of the pubic area and we we deliver the baby through that incision and we suture. There are various reasons why we obviously then do cesarean sections. And the process of a cesarean section depends on whether it's an, you know, a plant or an unplant. But the the route is similar. So you are going to get prepared depending on what the reason is. You and your partner are going to then be wheeled into theater. You will meet an anesthetist and an anesthetist is the doctor that's going to put the uh, spinal, um, you know, a medication into your spine and then to numb the pain fibers. So once that has happened, there's going to be a screen between you and the doctor. So you are awake. You are able to feel, you mm. cannot feel pain, but you can feel pressure. You can feel touch. So you are aware of your surroundings so that when the baby comes out, you can hear the baby cry. Um, and once the baby is born, it's obviously in a theater, um, you know, setting. So we then hand over the baby to the pediatrician or the receiving midwife. And then as the operation takes place, which, um, you know, it's in, in, in the normal setting, a cesarean section should take anywhere between between 30 minutes to an hour. Mm. So within that time frame, you are bonding with the baby while the doctor finishes the cesarean section. And then you get wheeled off together with the baby, provided the baby is fine, the baby is distressed, and also depending on what the decision was based um, you know, on why the doctor took you to theater. So, so you mentioned that you've got two children. I have three. And, nice. and the first of those is also a nine-year-old like yours. And she was, and she was sort of delivered... C-section. So, so she was born C-section. And I remember uh, my gynecologist saying something like she was a breech. She was, she was in breech position or she yes. was a breech baby. And I suppose I'm curious for, you know, what are some of the other reasons okay. that, you know, an expectant mother might be told that the C-section route is the best. And I remember, you know, quite specifically thinking, what on earth are they talking about? Um, something about how this baby hasn't turned or, or whatever. So, so take me through some of the reasons, you know, why would, um, why would doctors or mothers end up having to choose the C-section birthing method? Okay. So a C-section, um, when chosen or uh, decided upon by the doctor is actually a life-saving procedure. It means that either mom's life is, uh, you know, at risk or baby's life it is, is at risk. So you've got mom reasons and you've got baby reasons for a cesarean <laughs> section. Okay. So some of the baby reasons, like you say, it's a bridge position. So a bridge position is where you find that the baby is sort of like standing. 
So the head is up in your ribs, okay? And then the cute little bum and the feet are down in the pelvis. Believe it or not, back in the early 80s, I was delivered as a breached vaginal birth because there were no sonas back then. So I was a surprise and I came with my bum and then the head first. So unfortunately for, um, you know, moms who uh, have a bigger baby. So the, 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 the ticks that you have to tick if you have a breech delivery um, or a, a breech baby on board and the obstetrician does not have the confidence that, you know what, the, the baby's head is going to, you know, pass through. Um. Then they, yeah, they will, they will, they will uh, you know, suggest a C-section. There are instances where we can do what you call a an external cephalic vision. So that's where we tie and turn the baby, you know, to try to get into the cephalic, so the upside down position. But if it's not safe, then that's one of the reasons why we have a C-section. The other reason is where the placenta, which is called the afterbirth, or I call it the lifeline of the baby, is actually in front of the cervix. So what is going to get delivered first is the placenta, which causes mm. fatal bleeding to the baby. So that unfortunately will then, uh, you know, um, lead to a cesarean section. It's not unfortunate, but it's mm. an operative procedure. The other issue is then if the baby is distressed or a cord around the neck, like the baby that I delivered on Friday had a cord around the neck, uh, three times. So yeah. we could see that fortunately on the scan. So then we opted to say to the mom, this is a little bit risky. The baby is big and I know that the baby is going to tag on the cord. And then, um, bleeding and, you know, and also previous cesarean sections. Those are the baby reasons. And then the mom reasons is obviously then if mom is so sick mm. that we know that putting her through labor is going to cause more harm. Uh, the biggest one for us is preeclampsia mm. where we cannot wait for natural birth to take place and the mom is now consuming her own blood because of the preeclamptive phase itself. Or if the mom has got, has had back surgery or pelvic surgery from an accident or, you know, hip surgery, then we know that that is going to, um, you know, uh, make the labor impossible or scoliosis, for mm. example. And, um, or where we've got uh, a, a little mom and in other words, dwarfism. So we know that that's not going to be possible. So that's the baby and the mom reason. And I suppose, doctor, you know, there, there would be instances where, um, you know, doctors able to pick up that there are some risk factors and would necessarily then be able to schedule the cesarean section versus a situation where you say, you know, it's, it's, it's an emergency situation. Now the C-section is unplanned. Um, according to my birth plan, I, I wanted to deliver naturally, but now I find myself in a situation where, you know, we, we have to go the C-section route. Um, let me, let me ask the question, you know, what are some of the risks associated with, with the C-section option? Okay. Remember, C-section is an operation mm. and any doctor or healthcare provider will tell you that there is no surgery that does not come with complications tagged to it. So you're looking at, so we, we obviously make a small cut, but you could bleed. There's anesthetic and there's surgical risks. Okay. So the surgical part is that you could bleed. And when you bleed, because we've made an artificial cut, you know, you could end up with uh, a blood transfusion. It could be so catastrophic that we could lose our womb. Okay. Or 
um, you know, anesthetic where you then react to the anesthesia depending on what your metabolism is and what your risk factor is. Are you diabetic? Are you hypertensive? Can your heart take the anesthetic? Mm. And then there's the post-surgical complications like infection of the womb itself or the wound. Okay. There is clots in the legs that could form or go up to your lungs and cause what you call a pulmonary embolism and a stroke. So those are some of the rare complications, but they do occur and we have to tell them to the mom. That's why, yes, in, 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 in a planned situation, we, we, we do tend to make provision so that mm. those things do not occur. But like I say, in the safest of hands as well, those things might happen. Those are some of the risks. And and if we look at sort of the the recovery post the C section, um, and again here, I mean, I'm speaking as somebody who's never had a natural birth, so I've had three C sections, and so I only know that. Um, but you know, is it is it the same time in terms of of recovery? Is is it the same recovery period if we're sort of comparing between the C section and the natural birth? Chalk and cheese, chalk and cheese. Remember, you've had major surgery, okay? So this surgery means that one, you have to relearn how to walk. Mm. You have to take your medication on time. So the recovery route is quite longer when you have a C-section versus a natural birth. I mean, a natural birth, um, when a mom has had a natural birth uncomplicated, within the first hour of delivery, we actually ask the mom to walk up to prevent those clots from forming in the legs. Remember, your blood is thick. I remember you go take that. a shower. Yes. <laughs> and unfortunately, for the C-section moms, you have to wait for the legs to come back from the anesthetic, you know, effects. And uh, you're looking at anywhere between for you know feeling sick two to two two weeks to about four weeks. But full recovery, I always say, give yourself time, mm. uh, eight weeks. The reason why I say this is because you've had major surgery, but guess what? You're also a caregiver for your baby. So that tends to retard the recovery. Mm. So most moms want to snap back, but I always say, take your medication. Remember that on top of being a patient where you should be looked after, think about it. If somebody fractures the leg, what happens? The family comes together, they cook for them, they make them rest, and mm. then there's a physio. But for you, you've had surgery, but you still have to breastfeed the baby. You have to change the nappies. You have to wake up in the middle of the night. And, you know, then you have got trust issues. So the recovery route is longer with a C-section, definitely. So, yes, the C-section itself is quicker because it's planned, mm. because, you know, there's a caregiver, a healthcare worker there with you. But once you go home, you have to take care of that operation. You have to take care of yourself. You have to remember to take medication. And then and look after the little one. And and I know that, that, you know, we're not having a conversation today where we're exploring sort of what's the support that can be given to somebody who's navigating that. But let's just touch lightly on that. I mean, you're saying to me, this is somebody who's just had uh, quite a serious, um, you know, surgery. Um, and, and, and then there's all the expectations around this new baby who's, who's, who's new in the world and who needs, uh, you know, mom's, mom's love and attention and care. What's, what's the support we could offer to somebody who's just had that C-section, particularly if it's a second or a third, um, yeah, operation so or surgery? <laughs> It, it also has to come with a mom. You have to want that support. And at oftentimes as moms, you know, new moms, we, we think that the baby is going to sense the fact that mom is not present. You have to want that help. So 
it it comes from anything you know from cooking for the mom mm. taking the baby allowing her to express getting those feeds and then taking the naps it's not always the case that you're going to synchronize your naps with the baby <laughs> so you need to understand that there are times when the baby is going to nap and you're going to be awake so have somebody with you and mm. i always ask this is the question that my patients would always tell you ask who's going to be with you after the delivery it can't just be a nanny. It has to be your partner and somebody else. Because mm-hmm. remember, your partner is going to go back to work. So they come back tired and then you are awake. So you almost become resentful because you, you are not well rested. You're not sleeping. You don't remember to eat. So support in any form or shape actually mm-hmm. goes a long way. Can mm-hmm. I help wash the baby's clothes? Can I make you a cup of coffee? Can I help wash the baby's bottles? Can I allow you to go take a shower while the, you know, while the baby sleeps? Mm-hmm. So any form of support actually goes a very long way. Thank you. And I think it's important, even though, you know, we're not focusing on that in this particular conversation. Doctor, I want to come back to the conversation. And I think for me, I'm sitting with a question. So we've, you know, we've spoken, you know, quite extensively about somebody who has a C-section. Let's imagine they then have another pregnancy and they say, I'd actually like to have, you know, a, a, a natural birth. I'd actually like to have a yes. vaginal birth. Is that is that even possible? Absolutely. So, you know, Zoya, we call that a V-back uh-huh. Vaginal birth after cesarean section. It is possible and it depends one on the reason why you had the C-section in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with the exclusions without being negative. So if the reason why you had a C-section was because of a broken pelvis, that reason does not go away. So it's going to recur. So if you've got a recurring reason for having a C-section, then unfortunately you're excluded from that program. Okay. So, uh, for example, if you're, um, somebody who also is quite very short and the doctor has said that you've got pelvic contractions. So the outlet, the pelvic outlet is quite small. It's not going to grow any bigger. Mm. So that reason is going to repeat itself. But if you had a reason, let's say, you know, you had bleeding and at term or the baby was distressed and it was not a very big baby by a very big baby, I say a baby that's less than 3.5 kgs, um, those reasons are not going to repeat themselves. Mm. So once you've reached that 18 week, uh, 18 month period, you can actually then try for a V back. But even with the VBAC, there are some ticks that you have or a checklist that you have to go through with your obstetrician. Mm. So one, this delivery has to occur in a health care environment where we've got access to blood services, should you bleed, and we've got access 30 minutes to theater. Two, the placenta in this current pregnancy should not be in the front like I said, also closing the root mm. uh, of the baby. Mm. And then two, you should go into natural labor by yourself. We cannot use methods to induce um, the labor because remember now where we had done the cesarean section, that area acts as a weak link. So if we give you medication, that area has a potential for rupture, which has catastrophic effects. The baby might get distressed. If we are lucky, we get that, uh, the baby out in time or you could rupture your uterus. But if it's a natural process, the body has a way of actually, you know, healing itself. Mm. A VBAC has got a 2% chance of a rupture. So if I've got 100 women that have undergone a VBAC, two of them are going to rupture. Okay. So even with that, you have to, even if you go beyond uh, your your due date, as long as you go into labor, 
Mm. We try for a VBAC. When you're in labor, the criteria is actually quite strict. So you should be moving like that mom that I'd spoken about, mm. you know, so the latent phase, eight hours, and then you should move after, you know, uh, four centimeters dilatation, you should move at one, you know, centimeter per hour. Mm. If your labor is delayed, we bail out and we go for an emergency C-section. If the baby gets distressed, we bail out. Um, if, if you start bleeding, we bail out. Uh, so those are some of the things that you actually have to fulfill in order to have a VBAC. Um, and it's, you have to consent to it. So, uh, the doctor cannot force you to have a VBAC and say, I think you're a candidate. You, as a mom have to want to do it. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a, like I always say, it's a collaborative effort. So once you consent to it, we are in a healthcare. So a VBAC cannot be a home birth. Absolutely. It cannot be a home birth. It's seen as a high risk natural birth. So you need facilities. Should anything go south, then you can, you know, get the help that you need. And I think it's important. I mean, this last bit uh, where you talk about how the VBAC, I mean, it can't happen at home. And again, I think for me, what's important is oftentimes, you know, when you've had a C-section, other people have had a natural birth. There's almost this kind of, uh, you know, narrative or this, or this, or this thinking, you know, that says that if you've had a natural birth, you're, you're more of a, uh, mother, mother than somebody who has had a C-section. You and know, so when, you find mothers who say, I'm going to want to, go, you know, I want to go that route because I have to experience it that way. And sometimes medically it isn't possible. No, it isn't. And this is what we say. And that's why it's very important to discuss that, uh, you know, the birthing, uh, uh, um, you know, plan. Be prepared for things to not go your way mm. and accept that it's not within your control and it's not a measure of your competence as a woman, how the baby comes out. So you will find that women say, no, I didn't push my baby. The doctor chose for me. There's a sense of, you know, they robbed me of a feeling. They, you know, I was robbed of a feeling and I was, I was, I was robbed of an experience. Mm. But when a baby is born, regardless, I, and I make jokes and I say, I don't care how the baby comes out, can come out through the ears. But <laughs> as soon as that baby is born, there's a woman that's also born. Mm. There's a new human being that's born and that's a mother. So the motherhood part is not dependent on how the baby came out. Mm. What if you're that mom that had a very difficult pregnancy and you overcame? Does that make you more of a mother than a woman that had, uh, you know, a seamless, complication-free pregnancy? No. The motherhood is after the baby is born. And that's why I think we need to uh, emphasize that it's not a measure of what you are capable and not capable of doing. Hmm. It's a life-saving procedure. So I tend to have this conversation with parents where I say, okay, we um, either if maybe the baby's due um, on the 14th and it's the 17th, it's the 18th, unfortunately the baby's not, you know, rocking up. Then we say, can we then kickstart the labor so that then you have that experience. And in your mind, if that does not go your way, mm. and I don't even want to call it fail, it does not go our way. We still have a safer option to bring the baby out into this world. At the end of the day, it's having a healthy mother mm. and a healthy baby. And doctor, because you touched on it, uh, you know, the birthing plan, uh, you know, how important is it for one to actually have some kind of birth plan? And I want you to also tell us a little bit about that welcome pack you mentioned earlier. 
So the welcome pack, thank you so much for actually reminding me. The welcome pack um, actually entails the journey throughout pregnancy. Not all of us know how many times we're going to see the obstetrician. Mm. Not most of us will know when you're supposed to do blood tests um, and when you're supposed to do certain scans, what you should eat what you should avoid, medications to take, when to call the doctor. So that welcome pack contains all of that information. And I've sat down with my team and we've formulated a very compact, you know, informative uh, pack so that the mom has a roadmap. She understands where she's going to end up so that she doesn't question, but why do I have to come see you at 36 weeks? Why do I have to come see you? What What is a non-stress test? So that's the welcome pack. A birth plan, I like to do a birth plan. I mean, a birth plan is basically, it doesn't have to, you know, have candles and chandelier in the, in a, you know, in the birth. No, no, in the birth center. It, it, it gives you control of what you want. So when I say, what is your birth plan? Firstly, I'm asking you, what is the route that you feel most comfortable? Mm. And then from my professional side, I'm going to advise you whether we can go with that route, whether it's a natural birth or a C-section. Mm. And if you say my birth plan is a C-section, then I'm going to walk you through that journey uh, until the day that the baby is coming, whether it's a plan C-section or not. And then two, if it's a natural birth, what makes you feel most comfortable? Is it having your mother there? Mm. Is it having your partner there? Does music calm you down? Mm. Do you want a dark room? Do you want a quiet room? Would you like the nurses to come in? How would you want the environment to be? Do you want to come with your own clothes? Would you like your own bedding? You know, so that type of thing. When would you like us to give you medication? Do you want us to prompt you or should we leave you alone? Would you like an epidural? When should we call for help? Or if the baby comes, what are your expectations? Do you want delayed cord clamping so that we get as much blood, you know, into the baby as much as possible? Would you like skin to skin with the baby or do you want your partner to have skin to skin? And doctor, let me just, let me just step in then. And, and I suppose I'm sitting with the question because as you're speaking, I'm reflecting on my own experiences. Who initiates the conversation? Is it the doctor who says, you know, this is, this is what you need to consider? Is it, is it myself coming forward to say, this is how I'd like to approach, you know, the, the birth of the baby? Who initiates the conversation? I'm hearing some things for the first time. I must be honest. Yes. <laughs> well, remember, I speak from a woman's point of view and I don't take anything from from you know my male colleagues and and some of the things that I do in my practice are based on what I wanted during my pregnancy and I got and I didn't get. So I initiate this conversation and I ask and I pose it as a question so that you as a mom to be are in control. I say, how would you like to deliver the baby? Mm. And if you say, doctor, I think I have a natural, uh, you know, I'm leaning towards a natural birth. And around 26, 27 weeks, that's when we start having these conversations. And then I tell you, okay, then going, it's about an energy thing. How's, what, what, what do you gravitate towards? What mm. is your energy telling you? Mm. And then if the mom says to me, I would like a natural birth. And I say, okay, fine. This is the route we're going to take. Or if I see a mom that I think, uh, says she wants wants a C-section and I say, why would you like a C-section? And if she tells me it's because she's scared, my duty is then to sit down and support that mom mm. because fear should not be a reason for a C-section, mm. especially if you can deliver naturally. Remember, there are benefits to a natural birth. It's a natural 
phenomenal. Mm. So the body has a way of self-healing and we don't want you in the hospital for a long time and expose you to unnecessary risks that come with anesthesia and the surgery itself. So yes, I gear towards the natural birth, but I don't coerce patients or, you know, deviate or direct them towards one birth, um, you know, method or another, unless if it's medically indicated. And and because we've gone back to sort of, you know, speaking about natural births, I want to explore um, a type of natural birth that I remember became popular at some point, and this was the water birth. It's still at some very point, popular. everyone was going to Genesis yes. and having water births. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about, about water births. What is it? What's involved in a water birth? You know, help me understand that a little bit better. Okay. So, um, at the end of a long day, you indulge yourself in a, you know, a nice bubble bath, right? So this sort of same scenario occurs when we have a natural birth. So there are different types. So you can have a natural birth occur in a home or in a healthcare facility, like you say, like Genesis, um, where we put water at a temperature between anywhere between 36 and 37 degrees, uh, in a bathtub or in a, an inflated pool um, or, you know, uh, something that uh, mimics a bath. So once uh, the mom is in there, we know that water is very soothing. It helps with pain. Mm. And where do our babies come from? They come from the amniotic sac. So they are aqua girls and boys. Um, we know very well that a baby who's born. So what happens is that you get in there, you have to be submerged in the water in, in, you know, um, not completely, but your abdomen has to be submerged in the water. And once you start the pushing, you know, process, the baby has to come out under water. So we've got these chemoreceptors and babies have chemoreceptors on their backs. That sense the environment. So as long as they're in the water, they can be in there for like five minutes without really realizing that they are out. Uh-huh. I have actually delivered a baby via C-section still in the water sack many a times and they still don't realize that they're actually born. <laughs> so it's the same analogy with the water birth. You want to transition the baby through into the world. But as soon as those chemoreceptors hit the air, they cannot go back into the water birth. So you do that to create as much of an environmental, you know, a, a, a natural environment as, as much as possible. Mm. The water births, they're not very popular with the doctors. Obviously, it means that the doctor has to get in there and, ah. you know, hygiene is uh, an, an issue. <laughs> but yes, it's it's quite popular. The hospitals don't tend to offer them because, um, look, there's a risk of slipping. So you have to tick certain criteria. It has to be a non-slip, um, you know, um, uh, either a bath or a pool. It has to be a size where if mom loses consciousness, God forbid, she mm. cannot drown. Mm. And you have to choose whether the partner is going to get in there or not. And uh, you should be able to see the bleeding. And the placenta cannot be delivered underwater because there's something called uh, water embolism, which is quite dangerous, mm. where the water can get into the placenta and back into the mom's circulation. We don't want that in the mom's blood. So once the baby's born, we bond, then later on we can deliver the baby's placenta. I mean, it, it seems quite involved. And I suppose, you know, even when one, you know, has decided that this is what I, or this is the route I'd like to go with, um, in that birthing plan, um, it, it's important that, that certain safety precautions are obviously in place if one does then want to, to go the route of a water birth. Are they yes. popular in South Africa? They're quite popular, but they're not, um, 
they, they don't they don't materialize as much as you know the popularity is is, is gained so be, the reason being is that not many facilities are actually willing to set up those type of uh, uh um you know facilities for the moms so genesis is one of them and then the birthing centers that are privately owned as opposed to your big hospital groups would do that uh the reason being is that it's also technically involving mm. it's technically involving um and the research will tell you that as much as uh, you know a water birth provides some sort of pain relief it's not so different to the conventional pain relief that we actually give patients Okay. So, so we want to have the water births. We might not always be able no. to have the water and births be for prepared, a number of reasons. Be prepared <laughs> not to have it. Uh, because even then, I think the birthing process itself is emotionally, um, what's the word? Uh, involving. <laughs> so you'll find that most patients, I've, I've been involved with Genesis, uh, quite a lot as well. I'm one of their doctors. So you'll find that they get into the water and then they come out. <laughs> so you don't, the, the, the whole, you know, the whole process doesn't materialize. So you get in there just for pain relief, but you actually come out. And sometimes it's also, it's for control for the person that's delivering the baby. Then we can see what's happening and we can, you know, better rotate that cute little head as it comes out. Mm. Yeah. I, I want to move the conversation, doctor, to to where we're exploring those instances that could actually, you know, have an impact, a very specific impact on the on the birthing option a person then has to has to you know has to choose or has to go for. And specifically, I'm thinking about instances where there has to be an induction. I'm thinking about instances where a baby comes early, so preterm labor. Let's explore that. I want to understand, you know, would preterm labor, for example, have an impact on the t- type of birth a mother can have. Yes. And it goes down to also understanding and making peace uh, with when things go unexpected. Mm. So there's what you call preterm labor, and that's when the baby comes before 37 weeks. Mm. Uh, between 34 and 37 weeks, if the labor is already quite advanced, we do allow for mom to deliver naturally or as expected. But then when the, mem- the baby is too prim, they don't have the mechanisms to actually withstand the labor. Mm. So they, they don't oxygenate very well because they're so little and they have not developed those reflexes, those primitive survival instincts and reflexes. So their blood actually becomes quite acidic and their pH goes high. Mm. So those are babies you don't want to expose to labor. And then two, if they are prim, their skulls are actually quite pliable. So they move around. So you don't want that skull to actually hit the brain. Then Mm. you can get what you call a brain hematoma, bleeding inside baby's brain. So we try and prevent them. And we even give medication for what we call neuroprotection before the baby is 32 weeks. Because we expect that the brain is going to be, you know, it's going to take a knock during the birthing process, whether it's a C-section or a natural birth. So that type of C-section is very well controlled because Mm. you have to be very gentle with Mm. how you deliver this baby. So as soon as you make the incision, you welcome that head gently with the palm of your hand. You have delayed cord clamping. You cover this cute little one because she or he will not be able to maintain the body temperature. Mm. So that's what you, it's, it's a protective thing for the baby. 
So yes, between 37 and 34 weeks, we might go with, you know, your planned route, but it also depends on a lot of factors. Are you bleeding? What caused the preterm labor? Is it infection? Is it because, you know, the water broke? Do you have enough water for this mm. baby to actually withstand the contractions? Because each time there's a contraction, there's no hydrostatic cushion. So if the cushion is gone, this baba is also going to get tired. And so, mommy, even if you, and, and I'm speaking to the mommy who's listening out there, you know, you've got this elaborate birth plan. This is how you wanted, pictured, dreamed, you know, that, that, um, you know, your pregnancy would look like. I think in the event of, you know, a preterm labor, um, doctor knows best. Um, doctor will guide you. And perhaps it does look like having that willingness, I think, to just be a little bit flexible, um, in the interests of your own health and that of your baby. Uh, doctor, let's, let's talk about, I mean, there's a term, a very specific term, and I think, again, it connects to the conversation that we're having about, um, you know, different birthing options um, based on a particular situation. Help me to unpack the word. Is it, and, and I might not even pronounce it correctly, uh, an episiotomy. Episiotomy, yes. Episiotomy. What episiotomy. is an episiotomy? What, what would cause an episiotomy to happen? Um, let's, let's better understand that. Okay. So uh, an episiotomy, uh, otomy. Uh, or tomi in medicine means to uh, make an incision or a cut. So uh, an episiotomy is a process where we try and aid delivery of the baby uh, by making a cut on the side of the vaginal canal. Now, it's not something that we want to do or we plan to do. Uh, it's it's an emergency procedure. So we make a cut on the side of the vagina. It could be left or on the right side. We don't like to do it vertically because then we know that uh, the anal opening is just down the road and ah. we do not want a situation <laughs> where, you know, there's an extension. Oh I'm my. sorry to scare the moms. <laughs> so what we do is that we try and deviate towards the left or towards the right and this is when the natural tear, in my experience and in my, you know, um, in practice, where if mom does not naturally tear, then we have to aid the delivery of the baby's head to create space. Uh -huh. So ideally, you would like the mom to tear naturally because the tissues themselves tear. The episiotomy is... um it involves cutting of the muscles. So it's more painful than a natural tear. So we try and reserve it as a last resort. Um, the healing as well is a little bit slower compared when you tear naturally. Now, how I do things, others may beg to differ, is that when the baby is crowning, so when you see that baby coming out, I actually numb the vaginal area. So when I numb it, I've experienced that the tissues tend to stretch quite more than when I don't numb it. And secondly, I mean, it's pain relief. You don't feel the tearing. So I can support the perineum uh, uh, without really having to do an episiotomy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, Doctor, let's let's understand another term that I think, you know, is, is important in the context of this conversation. And this term is amniotomy. Amniotomy, what, what, what are we talking about here? Is this related to when the water has broken? Um, help us to understand that. Yeah, okay. So, Zaya, remember when I said episiotomy? Uh, tomi means to artificially cut something sure. or to break. So, amniotic fluid. So, amniotomy comes from the amniotic 
sack itself. Mm. So amniotomy means to artificially break the water. So some moms believe that the start of labor means that the water must break first. In instances, you can go through labor up until you are fully dilated and the water sac is still bulging. So when the water sac bulges, the water actually becomes uh, a little bit of a hindrance because the baby's head does not, you know, uh, descend downwards. So what we then need to do is we get something called an amnio hook. It sounds a bit daunting, but it's actually a cute little thing, mm. uh, very tiny, where we tag onto the baby's water sack and we break the water for you. It does not disadvantage the mom at all. Um, it actually accelerates the labor, helps descent of the baby's head, and we do amniotomies for different reasons. Mm. So an amniotomy is not something that we use to induce labor. We rather augment so to augment is to help something that's already started mm. or to support it. Mm. So if we see that a mom, for example, a mom was at a VBAC, the only way that I can augment the labor is to actually break the water for her because I cannot give her medication. Same thing, if a mom has had an epidural and you want to augment the labor, you want to try out the natural processes as much as you can. Mm. So breaking the water sack or performing an amniotomy aids in you know, dilatation of the cervix and descent of the head and stronger, beautiful contractions. And doctor, in your experience, what, what's been the most common type of delivery in, in, in South Africa? What do you see often? So we actually see natural births more often. Yes. So the national guidelines actually say that we are sitting at a 38% cesarean section rate. So it means that the latter or the larger portion actually end up delivering naturally. But that's in the public sector. In the private sector, because now we have moms who advocate for how they want to deliver, you find that a mom will tell you, doctor, I'm an accountant. Oh, I'm a pilot mm. and I need to get back to work mm. at a certain time. So if you induce labor and does not work, I would like to choose a cesarean section. So because the choice is between the doctor and the mom, we find that we've got a higher rate of cesarean sections. And for me, I find that I inherit patients who've already had a C-section. So if you had a C-section and I feel that you do not fulfill that criteria for mm. a VBAC or you mm. yourself have not consented, then you end up with a C-section. So the private sector, more cesarean sections, public sector, 38% cesarean section. And I think that makes sense to me. I mean, if you're thinking about the public sector, it's in and out, yes. uh, as it were. And you um, actually and I don't have a choice. You don't really have that choice. And, you know, whereas with the private facilities or the option, um, you can have that specialized care over an extended period. Uh, so that absolutely makes sense to me. Are there any birthing myths that you would like to debunk or, or provide some more insight on? Yes. Okay. So... One is that, oh, once I've had a natural birth, that's it for me. My sexual pleasure is gone and it's not <laughs> going to be the same down there. That's not the truth. Okay. Provided that there is no birth trauma, um, in, in if you had an episiotomy or you had a tear, it was adequately sutured, you actually do bounce back and the baby was of good size. So you cannot have a large size a baby for you and then obviously go through that. But that's the one myth. The other myth is that, oh, if you have a C-section, it means that you're not going to lose the belly fat. That's not true. 
Um, and secondly, you're going to feel pain each time it's cold. So not everybody goes through that. Mm. Uh, it depends on your upbringing. It depends on your, you know, religion. But from a medical point of view, I feel that those are myths that should not exist and uh, unfortunately, they are making the rounds. I don't imagine that you're saying to the ladies who are listening that they should not do Kegels. Um, I'm told Kegels, Kegels are wonderful in terms of strengthening those Thank muscles you. down there. Absolutely. <laughs> and now, look, I mean, yes. And, and, and if you feel that you need help down there, they're also aesthetic. <laughs> I'm actually an aesthetic, uh, aesthetic gynecologist myself. So there are women that feel, no, uh, there's a bit of laxity. We still are there and can help you. But I mean, you also have to fill, fill the criteria. If you have a four kilo baby and you say, doctor, I feel like down there, it's not the same, but. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a personal choice. Mm. It doesn't mean that you definitely, once you have a natural birth, that's going to happen to 100%. you. 100%. Yeah. And I think it's important to debunk that myth again, because I think we sit as women and often we have these conversations and one person will say, I've had three natural births and we're all kind of side eyeing them. Um, you're not, we're not wanting to really say what we're actually thinking. It's important to debunk these myths. Um, so thank you for that, doctor. And I think as we wrap up the conversation, um, you know, if I asked you, is there any other important information about birthing options that you think expecting mothers should be aware of? We've covered, I think, you know, uh, quite an extensive amount as it relates to this, but is there anything that you want to say to the mother who's listening on the other side about birthing options? Yes. So I think the birthing options will come from the conversations that you have with your uh, caregiver, you have to one, trust your obstetrician or your midwife. Once you have that trust, there's an open channel of communication. Then you can address one, your fears, your concerns, and your wishes. If you feel that you are going to have a natural birth, you need to have all the information, uh, you know, laid out for you. The same way you have to have information, you know, about a cesarean section. So it's about educating the parish or the parent to be at all times. Once the mother has that information, remember she's then empowered to make a decision. You cannot make an informed decision if you don't know what it entails. So if you don't know what a natural birth entails or what an epidural is, you're not going to say, I want it or I don't want it. It's about empowering yourself with information. So this information is going to come from your healthcare giver or you're going to have antenatal classes. You're going to educate yourself and please stay away from Google. I was going to ask that question to say when you say education, um, my first go to place is, um, you know, Google. No, okay. please stay away from Google. <laughs> your obstetrician or your midwife should be the person that is the source of all that information. That's why that, you know, the relationship is very important because once you are comfortable, then you can ask the, you know, in inverted commas, silly questions, mm. you know, because what might seem silly to you is actually very valid and it's going to affect what you are going to choose as a birthing option. So either cesarean or a natural birth, but you have to be empowered with information. Doctor, I know I'd said we're coming to a close, but I do want to just, you know, just one more little thing. I mean, you say, yes. I don't go to Google, but I think the reality, if you're really thinking about it, is that often we find ourselves in consulting rooms with doctors who kind of just want to do what they need to do and move on to the next patient. And I think that's a very real reality for many of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so yes, on the one hand, I do want to cultivate that relationship where I can engage in the questions I have, but sometimes time is of the essence. 
And you're in there, you do what you're there to do, and then you're out again. But Zoya, that's why we have platforms like this. Sure. Um, I have an Instagram page where I engage with my patients so that you have a video of certain, you know, aspects of your delivery or your journey throughout your pregnancy, a website that walks you through the, that journey. So I blame us as healthcare providers because we need to create that extra platform out of the consultation room where it's either you have a TV that plays, you know, you know, the birthing journey or something similar to that. So that by the time the patient comes to see you, yes, you spend that 20, 30 minutes with them on medical issues and not what the patient should get without you in front of them. Doctor, it's been such an enlightening conversation. I want to thank you for your passion. It's palpable. I felt it throughout this conversation. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for what you bring to the profession. Thank you for challenging doctors out there. And I think most importantly, thank you for the information that you provided to those who are listening. Uh, that was Dr. Esther Roxon one more time. Thank you. And of course, we've come to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much to those who are listening on the other side. Thank you for listening to the hashtag Faring Pod. Join the conversation by following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube under Fairing South Africa. Have you been diagnosed with IBD? Download the Fairing IBD Health Diary app today. The Fairing IBD Health Diary app is available on the Apple App Store and the Android Google Play Store.